Luke chapter 12, having a new financial heart about all that Christ has given us. Man, we have so much. How can you sing that song and not realize how much you have in Christ? And yet that beautiful line of yet not I. It wasn't me that earned this. It wasn't me that was just good enough to get all this wonderful blessings from God. But it was just Christ. Oh, what a beautiful help to us this morning to reorient our hearts and our lives to see Christ. And as we talk about money, whew, this is one of those ones that we don't often talk about, right? One of those ones that we're like, ooh, stay away from those money passages uh, because it make people feel awkward. Well, guess what? The Bible does not stay away from passages about money. I don't know if you've read your Bible lately. It's all over the place. Not necessarily always in just how you are to spend your money, but oftentimes in view of money and how it's really everywhere. I've been reading through Genesis and up to the part with Joseph and what's going on with Joseph and storing up all the crops, right? A little bit ahead of my Bible reading. I had some extra time, so I got ahead because I know there's going to be days where I might fall a little bit behind. So I'm a little bit ahead in the Bible reading. By the times when he's like basically acquiring much wealth for himself and Pharaoh and Egypt and we know the story of how that's going to make them the most powerful country and now down the road how the Israelites are then going to be enslaved because God's continuing to bless Israel even though Egypt is the one that has all this money from the famine and from the seven years of plenty and all of that going on so it's talking a lot about money even in Genesis so how do we think about this think about your life And how much, really, a lot of it, maybe most of it, is revolving around money. You guys drove here, did you not? So that costs money for gas. You guys are all wearing clothes, thankfully. That those clothes cost money. Anything that you think about in your life, you're probably thinking already about the lunch you're going to have. Costs money to have food. So much of our life, even if we don't always think about it. Really, money is just around all of it, isn't it? In order to live, money is there. So as we think about just the, how pervasive money is in our lives and how it's all around us, we need help looking at it in the way that God wants us to look at it, don't we? Even as much as it might be awkward to talk about, might be kind of different or weird thinking about money, We need to know what God says about it, because Jesus talks a lot about money. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Trust you've turned with me there to verse 13. Let's read verses 13 to 21, then we'll pray and ask the Lord's help that, um, that we'll look at it the way that Jesus does. So let's turn our hearts towards him this morning. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself 
and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning. Help us again, not look to the person next to us, but look to our own hearts to see, does money have a hold on us? Is my life centered around money? To help us evaluate our heart so as we come into this new year uh, that we can look at money and finances the way that you do. Help us have a heart for you. Help us to transition our heart from a maybe treasuring up uh, storehouses here on earth to treasuring you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if we drop into this passage just into verse 13, we might think that Jesus is doing a little bit of a Q&A time. That he's saying, okay, crowd, what are some thoughts, any questions that you have for me? Just any random questions. I'm willing to take them now. Um, but that's not what happens. As we look at the context, which is beautiful in the Gospels, you get the context of where Jesus has been, where he's going. And in chapter 11, Jesus has really been taking the Pharisees and the lawyers to task. Even verse 20, 42 of chapter 11, Jesus is saying, you are tithing. You're tithing your, your rue, your mint, and your herb. But they are neglecting, he's calling them out because they're neglecting justice and the love of God. What a tremendous accusation. He's saying you're outwardly doing the right thing with your money. You're outwardly, it seems like you're giving all the right things, but in your heart motive, you're neglecting justice and the love of God. He's accusing them of separating out their financial obligations with their spiritual obligations. Saying if you just do this, then God will be happy. No, he's like God wants your heart, as we saw last week. A broken heart, that's what God desires. So then we move into chapter 12. Large crowds are gathering around as he continues his teaching. He's talking to his disciples and he's just finished telling them that you're going to be persecuted and brought before the rulers in the synagogues for your faith in me. For standing up for Jesus, for standing up for the Holy Spirit, you're going to be brought before them and questioned and accused. And in that, the disciples are like, oh man, probably thinking this... This is going to be tough. And that's when the guy breaks in. He's not talking to this other guy. He's talking to his disciples, sharing them some deep, heavy truths about what they're about to go through. And that's when this guy says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me some money. Now, it's a good thing that Jesus is infinitely wise and patient. Because if it were me, and I've had this happen a number of times, when I'm teaching a lesson to the youth group, Sometimes, not always, but sometimes somebody raises their hand and has a question about nothing that we're talking about. Sometimes I know who those people are. I'm not going to look at anybody in particular. And so when they, their hand goes up and they just, because they thought I called on them because I looked their direction, they just start talking about something else. Sometimes I do this. I'm like, anyways, like what we were talking about just earlier, did you not hear me on this one subject? We're not going to something totally different. So I've been in that situation before, not always handling it so graciously. But Jesus could have asked him a number of things. One thing I thought Jesus should have asked him is like, okay, there's an inheritance, then why aren't you mourning with your family? What are you doing here? Why are you asking for money? He should have been with his family. He should have been mourning. But instead, he hears his father's died, and most likely it's his father. We're not told that specifically, but if there's an inheritance, most likely it's the father who has died. So there's inheritance to be split. So hearing about his father 
dying, hearing that his brother is getting all of the inheritance, instead of mourning with his family, he says, I'm going to go find somebody that my brother's going to listen to so that I get some of this money. He's traveling, saying, can I find somebody with authority? Who's everybody listening to? Oh, Jesus. If I can get Jesus to tell my brother, (laughs) then... Sounds like a brother type of relationship. If I can just get my parents to tell my brother to do this, then they'll have to do it, right? He should have been mourning himself. He should have been in a state of mind where he's like just thinking about money, just thinking about what he can get. But Jesus says, who makes me a judge over you? You're looking for an authority to tell you what to do about your money. He's like, why are you coming to me? And that's when he turns He doesn't tell them who should get the money. He turns to his disciples and then he begins to tell them a story. Tells them a parable that helps enlighten truth, right? Don't you love parables? It's kind of that sideways, that way that Nathaniel did to confront David on his sin. It might not have worked as well if said, David, you're a sinner. But he tells a story to help reveal his heart. And that's what Jesus does. He tells this story about this other man that helps reveal the heart of that brother who's coming asking for money. And it helps reveal the heart even of the disciples who were there. Because again, if it was me, I'd say, I'd be tempted to fix the problem. I'd say, okay, well, how much was it? Okay, maybe he could split it. It's like, well, let me go talk to your brother. Maybe we can work something out. I'd be tempted to fix the problem as opposed to go after their heart. But again, Jesus, infinitely wise, goes after the heart. And he tells a story about a rich fool who is truly greedy, truly selfish. Let's look at verses 17 to 19 again. And I want you to, to look at all these personal pronouns that this guy's using. Verse 17, he says, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Eat, relax, eat, drink, be merry. And then comes the but God. Now, a lot of times the but God means something good is going to happen, right? We are dead in our trespasses and sins in Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy. Don't you love that? Right? When we are, our wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We love those but God statements because it brings us like, oh yes, we are terrible, but God is so wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. But this but God does not end up well for this man. It says, but God said, fool, this night your soul is required of you. You're dead. <laughs> your life is going to be over. Then what is going to come of the goods that you have? And even in this passage, look back at verse 16. This guy is so proud of all that he has accomplished, all that he has built up, all that he has stored. Look at my great wealth. It's all about just me, eat, drink, and be married. That's all about me just living my best life, right? Who produced all that wealth? What does it say? It says the land, right? The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Who waters the land? Who brings out the sun? Who, we're, we are in a farming community here. Do, don't we know who is really in control of the crops and the harvest that comes in? Oh, the Lord, right? The Lord is in control, but yet he looked at all. He thought, I did it. This is all mine. This is all about me. It's all for me. So I can just do what I want here on earth. 
Now, do we save and do we plan for the future? Absolutely. Proverbs chapter 6. Sorry, what is your account with God? Proverbs chapter 6, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Prepare, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in the harvest. Yes, we plan. Yes, we save. Yes, we work diligently. But there's a difference between working diligently so that you can store up for yourself, so that you can just lay up treasures for you, or are you doing that for the glory of God? Are you seeking to be rich towards God? What is your heart attitude for why you store up? For why you, you save? For why you work diligently? For why you get the job that you get? For all those things, what is your heart behind it? That's something we all need to evaluate. Why am I doing what I'm doing? It's because you are rich towards God? Or is it, I want to just eat, drink, and be merry? What is of more value to you? Think about what you spend most of your time focusing on. Is it all about your treasures here on earth? Or is it about your treasures with God? Are you consumed with spreadsheets and believe that if you can just achieve this much wealth, this much security, this much, then I can be free to just do what I want. Just, I can just relax. I can just retire and just have my money just focus all on me because it's all about me. There's a famous sermon that John Piper preached, turned into that book, Don't Waste Your Life, where he looked at the uh, couple that was on the beach collecting shells. And just like, they worked hard for so many decades so that they could collect shells. Then when they die, what what would those shells be worth? What, What would be the point of that? What eternal value is there? So work diligently, save, invest as you are able, as God provides, but do it for the glory of God. Do it for the furtherance of the gospel, not just for selfish gain. So Jesus is then taking this illustration of the man, focused on his money, laying up treasures for himself versus being rich toward God. They are opposite. You cannot be rich towards God if you're just seeking after your own riches. It's focusing your life on God versus focusing your life on self. And there's great wisdom too, as Jesus mentions in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves breaking and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break and steal. Focusing our attention on where we are storing up our treasure. If it's just for here on earth, it's fleeting. It's going to go away. It can go away like that. I was talking to my dad. Uh, he's a financial planner. He's been a financial planner for longer than I've been alive. And I asked him some of, some of the market crash, like, what are the ones you didn't see coming? He mentioned 1987. There was a day where the market dropped 27% in one day. A lot of people lost a lot of money. We might remember the Great Recession of 2007, 2008, or this last February and March when COVID hit. Who saw that coming? Lots of trials can come where our money could just, it could be eat up like that, right? Plan well, save well. Again, don't hear me say that you're not supposed to work hard. That we're not, don't hear me say that if you have a lot of money that that's evil. Not at all. Not at all. Again, where is your heart? That's what it's all about. Your financial heart. What it drives you. What is at the heart of your finances? 
Secondly, he says, what is your life worth to God? After hearing about this man who had it all, his life is going to be required of him, can't take it with him. I'm sure the disciples were thinking, well, Jesus, that's not really us, okay? Because we've just left everything to follow you. That might have been that man who was just worried about the inheritance, but that's not really us. We're kind of the day-to-day, where's our food coming from type of people because we're traveling with you. We left a lot of things to follow you. So then Jesus, knowing the heart again, he says, verse 22, Therefore I will tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? What a beautiful picture there. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And then you're not able to do as small a thing of that as that. Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. He said, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Jesus makes this comparison now. Uh, to these. It's an extreme comparison, isn't it? Comparing them to ravens, worthless birds, just flying around, don't really have much of a purpose at all, aren't good meat to eat or anything like that, just worthless ravens. He's like, and if God loves them, if God cares for them, don't you think he loves you even more, created in his image? Don't you think? We give these crazy illustrations a lot of times, don't we? When we say um, for our kids to eat eat their food, they're starving people in other countries, right? We draw this huge comparison to get them to understand what a blessing they have right in front of them. Right? When you think about traveling all the way across town to get to Walmart, all the way across town in your nice heated vehicles, that, whew. But then somebody might say, well, you know, there's people in third world countries that are walking barefoot, not even to a Walmart, down to the river to get water. So they're like, okay, well... In that, in that instance, I guess I probably shouldn't be as worried about going all the way across town. That's what Jesus is doing. He's like, look at the ravens. They are eating. Look at the grass. They're just thrown into a fire the next day. This worthless grass, this worthless ravens. Don't you think you? Don't you think God cares about you and loves you more? I love this song. It's one of my grandma's favorite songs. The, uh, his eye is on the sparrow. Why? And I was singing that all week. It just couldn't get it out of my head, which was a good thing. It was just like, why are we so worried and troubled? Why is our heart so down? His eye is on the sparrow. Don't you think he watches over you? Don't you think he watches over me? What a beautiful reminder. We need that sometimes to put our heart back in the right place. Instead of worrying about what is going to come, and you might be in a place where the, the paycheck is small. 
And you might be like, I don't know where my meals are going to come from this week. You might be in that situation. But Jesus said, still, don't worry. How much more will he clothe you? How much more will he feed you, O you of little faith? Don't worry. Jesus, once again, doesn't just help them get their focus off of themselves, but he helps them to see God. He helps them to see how God views them. Again, it's not just about storing up a lot for yourself here on earth. He doesn't just say, just don't do that. He says, be rich towards God. He doesn't just say, um, having food is not necessary. You don't need food. You don't need clothes. He doesn't say that. But he just said, how much more does your God love you than these ravens? He reorients their heart. Instead of just focusing on themselves, focusing them on the material of the world around them, he says, remember God. Don't don't forget your God. Don't forget how much he loves you and cares for you. Remember God. So I don't know where you're at this morning, whether you have plenty or maybe you're in want. Maybe, Maybe there's not as much coming in. I don't know where you're at, but the same truth is for each one of you. Remember God. Remember who your God is. Orient your heart towards him. Because he says in verse 30, he's like, the nations, people who don't know God, they're the ones who seek after these things. They're they're the ones worried about where everything's going to come from. They're the ones stressing out. They're the ones saying, I have to do this for me. It's all about me and what I can attain and what I can build up in my storehouses. He's like, the nations and the world of the world, they, they seek after these things. It's like, you Christians, you don't. We seek after the kingdom of God. He says, seek his kingdom, verse 31, and these things will be added to you. Again, maybe you're not looking to build up an IRA. Maybe you're just in the, the paycheck to paycheck realm. question always is for all of us, what is your faith in? What are you putting all of your trust in? By worrying, we can't add a single hour to our life. We can't add a single dime to our name. Instead, we seek the kingdom of God and these things will be added. What are these things? That's what we ask. What are these things? As we seek this kingdom, God says that he's going to provide for us. Now, this is not a direct link towards how, you, um, how you're able to work for God and then he will bless you. This isn't a prosperity gospel thing. If you have more faith, then God will give you more money, as if that's an equal scenario. Because we all know of people who have great faith who aren't just flushed with cash, right? We know people, people who are Christians being persecuted for what they believe. They don't have much of anything. Are we going to accuse them of having little faith? Who went to a third world country, who are being persecuted, being killed for believing and trying to share the gospel? Are we going to say they don't have much faith? No, that's not it. It's their trust and faith in God who provides for them and trusting in God that will provide for them as God sees fit. Jesus said in John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is not if you put in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of your prayers, you're going to get everything you ask for. No, that's not what that is. He's saying if you align your will with God's, if you are seeking after the, God, the thing that God seeks after, the thing that God loves and that God is pleased with, with God's will, don't you think God is going to do his will? So if you are asking and aligning yourself with the kingdom of God, with eternity there, don't you think God's going to give you that? Exactly as he pleases, exactly as he wills. 
That's why we always pray, Lord willing. James chapter 4. We don't know what tomorrow might bring. We're but a mist, right? And so we say, if the Lord wills, we will go here or there. If the Lord wills, we will do business here or there. It's always Lord willing. We pray that God will provide for us and care for us. And does God provide and care for you? Yes, he does it perfectly as he sees fit, as he wills. We are thankful for that. Our Christian performance does not earn more blessing or gifts from God. Aren't you thankful? You knowing, as we looked last week, evaluating the sin in our own heart, aren't you thankful that doesn't, God just doesn't bless us based on our performance for him? <laughs> Again, God is rich in mercy. God is giving. God is generous. But in humility, we will see how we have already been so abundantly and richly blessed. Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with how many spiritual blessings? Every. That's a lot, in case you didn't know. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So how could we ever accuse God that he does not provide for us? He has given us Christ. Yet not I, but Christ in me. What a joy that is. And he's speaking to his disciples. The crowds around them are hearing this. Jesus is already knowing that he is the greatest gift of all to them. As he evaluates their heart, and he, he could see the greed in many, and he could see the greed to just build up these storehouses just so that they can have and eat, drink, could be merry. He can see the worry in people's hearts around them as well. He can see the worry in the tents, like, where's my next meal coming from? I don't even know. He can see that in their hearts. And he knows, yet himself, just being there, is the greatest gift to them. It's just his presence alone. But think about all that Jesus gave them. Jesus fed the 5,000. So many miracles that happened. He healed so many of them. He made the lame to walk, made the blind to see, healed of leprosy. And he did that. And that enabled those individuals to be able to go out and get a job. Right? If you can not walk and then all of a sudden you can, you have the ability to now earn a living. But did, did Jesus do all those miracles so that they could live their best life? So that they could finally have more money in their bank account? Did Jesus raise the dead so that Lazarus had more opportunities to make money? No, what did he say? He said, so that they might see the glory of God. He's doing these miracles, giving them these wonderful gifts so they see, might, might see the glory of God. As he taught them so many wonderful truths, even earlier in Luke chapter 9, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? If Jesus wasn't there to teach them that, wouldn't they have more of a tendency to just say it's all about money? It's all about wealth. It's all about what I can gain for me. And then Jesus ultimately gave him his life. He sacrificed himself. And what did Jesus take with him? Think about Jesus on the cross. Even his clothes were taken from him and they were cast lots for them so that other people could have him. What did Jesus have materially with him when he went to the cross? He gave everything. He sacrificed it all. And he gave that to us that we might have life. Not so that we have money. Not so that we have bank accounts. But so we might have life in him. 
And so as he is understanding and knowing what he's going to be going through not too long from now and how he's going to be giving, again, knowing the disciples' hearts, he sees that they are probably in fear. (laughs) Okay, I'm not supposed to be greedy for money to store up just for myself. I'm not supposed to be worried about the daily bread that I need to live. What do I do? (laughs) How do I think about this? And that's when he says to fear not. But I love this uh, transition as he goes into how to give and when to give. He says, what are you willing to give for God? What are you willing to give up for God? It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He begins by reminding them, he says, don't fear. And then he reminds them who they are. He calls them sheep. Nowadays, that's not a good thing to call somebody. Call somebody a sheep. You're attacking them, right? Because they're just a follower. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have any ideas on their own. It's a negative term now. But hopefully, Christian, you look at in this Christian, in this Bible terms, in your terms of you and your heavenly father, I hope you take being called a sheep a compliment. Because it means that there is a God who cares for you. Isn't that what the shepherd does? It means you have a shepherd. It means that there's one who cares and looks out for you. There's a shepherd who who is guiding you. When you might have a tendency to wander, he guides you back. Psalm 23 is a beautiful picture of a loving shepherd as well. Isaiah 40. Ooh, I skipped a couple verses, didn't I? I forgot to put Isaiah 40 up there. I'll just read it for you. He will tend his flock, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It's good to be a sheep under the care of the chief shepherd, is it not? Aren't you thankful for that? But not only are they sheep, but they're in a part of a flock. This is another beautiful thing. There's a a group of them. He's like, you're not on your own. Not only are you cared for by the shepherd, but also you are in a group. Isn't it wonderful to have a flock right here, a congregation of believers, that when you might have a tendency to worry about where your next meal is coming from, if there's people here in this church that maybe God has richly blessed financially that will give, that will help you in your time of need. We have a beautiful deacon's fund. I love the deacon's fund that helps those in need. Those who have plenty, they give to that so that we are then able to give to those who are in need. It's a wonderful thing. You're part of a flock. It says, you little flock. <laughs> but then he also says, it is your father's good pleasure. Not only is it God's position as chief shepherd to care for you, but also as a father now, reminding them that they are children of God. He says, your father loves you. So not only do you get the experienced care of a shepherd, you get the immense love of a father to their child. Be thankful for your God. Again, he's reorienting their heart when they have a tendency to fear. Say, look at who your God is. Oh, little flock. 
in this juxtaposition here of you little flock, what is God going to give you? You little, little flock. The kingdom. (laughs) He's giving you the kingdom. Right after he tells them that instead of seeking after wealth, instead of seeking after provisions, he says, seek the kingdom of God. And then he says, the kingdom of God will be given to you. It will be theirs. And it is the good pleasure of God to give you the kingdom. He takes, literally, it takes great joy. He doesn't begrudgingly do it, say, oh, fine, here you go. It gives him great joy to give you his kingdom. Why are we worried about things here on earth? If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. What do we receive? We receive eternity. We receive a place where the moth and rust can't destroy. We receive Jesus. And in this eternity, we receive all of his promises. We receive all of his blessings. We receive eternal life. Is that not worth seeking after? Changing our heart's focus from maybe being just focused on money to then being focused on Christ, focused on the kingdom. We have received so much in him. And then after all this, these stories and everything, he says to sell your possessions and give to the needy. Why? Why sell their possessions? Why give it up? I think we get a little taste of what he's after here in Luke chapter 18. Just a few chapters later, there's a rich young ruler who's coming up to him. And he says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? I've done it all. I have accomplished everything in the Bible. Listed out some commandments, ten commandments. that he's. I've done it all. I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. And then Jesus, again, knowing his heart, seeing his heart, he says, okay, well, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. Remember what the rich young ruler did. He went away sad. Why? Because his wealth was great. It wasn't just that if he just accomplished giving money that that would save him. It was because Jesus saw the, the role that money had on his heart. He saw that money was his master. Money was his God that he served at the pleasure of his money. So to give up money, it was like, whoa, you mean I have to turn from this idol to Jesus in order to be saved? He's like, yes. He went away sad because he wasn't willing to do that. Jesus used that same phrase here in verse 33 with the disciples. Again, they're thinking, I don't have a lot. I've, I've given up so much for you, but yet he still says to them, sell your possessions and give to the needy. So provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old the treasure that is in the heavens. Because he knew that even with a little, it doesn't matter how much money you have, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, it can still have a hold on your heart. It, it can still control how you think, control how you look at others, control how you live. So he's telling them to evaluate even their heart, who left so much for him. He said, are you still willing to go sell your possessions? Are you willing to give? And Jesus is saying, as I have given to you, as I will eventually give my life, are you willing to give? 1 Timothy 6.10, we need to be on guard with this. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It says it is through this craving, 
that, that lustful idea, that lusting, desiring after it, this craving for it, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. This is a real danger for Christians. It's a real danger for us. So keep on guard. It says this in Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what? With what you have. What God has so graciously provided you. And then look at the encouragement. Look at what he's given us ultimately that will never be taken away. Himself. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Money might. Money probably will leave you at some point. Money will forsake you. But Jesus says, I won't. I have given you myself. So free yourself from that love of money. Don't be a slave to it. Turn to me. What a good challenge and a good encouragement for us. As the rich young ruler's heart, being mastered by money, prevented him from being saved because he wanted to keep his sin. The disciples who left everything, how would they respond? Wouldn't it be a matter of salvation necessarily for them as they followed Christ, but it's that same heart of whether they are being mastered by it or not, by a lot of it or by a lack of it. So when Jesus says it to them, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But I'll ask you the same thing. Go sell your possessions and give to the needy. How would you respond to that? How would you respond to Jesus? Now we probably could respond one of three ways. You might be responding, I do that. Praise the Lord. I know there's many of you who do that. You give generously, and you say, you look at your money and say, well, this is what God's given me, so I'm going to help those in need. I'm going to help my brother and sister in Christ who's struggling financially with this or that. I'm going to give to the church. I'm going to give to my friends. I'm going to be a blessing to this missionary. I'm going to support a missionary on my own. There's a variety of things that you can do, and you're already doing it. Praise the Lord that money does not have a hold on your heart. Some of you might say, well, I'd like to do that. I want to get there, but have you seen my finances? It's kind of tight. I want to be in that heart attitude of uh, being free from this love of money, but that seems to be all I can think about. I'm not sure how to do that. I'd love to talk with you about that. That's a great heart to have, that desire for godliness, desire for money to not have a hold. You might not already be there. That's okay. Is God working on your heart? Is God challenging you? I hope so. I pray that in your spot, like, well... Do I? And thinking through it, is, does money have this hold on me? But if you want to know how, if you want to work on that or grow in that, please come talk to one of us pastors. We'd love to talk with you about your heart. We'd love to talk to you about your finances. We'd love to encourage you. But you might be also saying, I'm not giving up anything. This is mine. I work for it. I put the, my blood, sweat, and tears into all this money that I gain. It's this is mine. I'm not, no way, I'm not giving it up. 1 John three seventeen says, if anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, he closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Even our giving is about our heart. With my dad, I was talking with him and talked with my father-in-law as well as he's been in the finance industry for a while too and um, knows a lot about it and taught classes at his church too. It was good getting wisdom from them. As I was talking with my dad about sharing some advice with me, he, 
he, he said this. He said, I'd pass this along. He said, if you aren't a lifelong giver, when were you going to start? When will you start being a lifelong giver? <laughs> he didn't say how much. He didn't say this much dollars. Just when will you start giving? He didn't say to where. It's like just giving to others in need. He said, if you, if they, he's like, if they say next year, he's like, it probably won't happen. <laughs> so maybe today, you say, I'm going to start. Maybe today is the day I start being a lifelong giver. But there's joy in giving as well. I hope you've seen that. Who you experienced that of giving to those in need and just the joy, not again, not that it's you, not that it's your money because of what you've accomplished, but you get to see the gift of God as God is so given to us. So we celebrated that over Christmas, that greatest gift in Christmas time. We don't just give because we have to because it's Christmas, but we give joyfully and wonderfully and we love to do it, the joy that's there. I'm going to tell you a couple stories, real life stories that my dad shared with me. He worked with people with not very much to people who had quite a bit. said he was talking with a couple, and he told me I could share this, that had made $500,000 a year between the two of them. And they were living paycheck to paycheck. You're kind of, I hear, the, hear somebody saying, wait, that doesn't make sense. Usually when we say living paycheck to paycheck, it means you don't have much money. Well, they spent all their money on them. They gave $1,000 a year to charities. They're in a tight bind. Why? Is it because they're not making enough? If they made just 600000 would that have fixed the problem? They needed a heart change, right? Another couple made $800,000 a year. Told my dad they didn't have any money left to save. There, there's just nothing left to save or to give. I, I, just, I just don't have it there. But then when their kid graduated and wanted to go to an Ivy League college that was about $70,000 a year, all of a sudden they found the money. Turns out it was there all along. But why could they find the money then? Because they were spending it for them, their kid, to help build up their storehouses. My dad then shared of an elderly lady who was living off her Social Security, making twenty dollars to $30,000 a year. He said she gives regularly and she is content and happy. Quite a difference from those who are making a lot. But again, it's not the dollar amount. If you're making a lot, you might be a great giver. Praise the Lord. Awesome. If you might be making just a little bit, you say, I'm not giving it a dime. This is mine. Again, it's not, my dad says, it's when they spend too much on themselves, it starts to affect their generosity and giving. He says, it's not what about what people make, it's about what people spend. <laughs> and I'll add on to that. What people spend their money on reveals their heart. It reveals what they love. Kind of like we, we do the things that we want to do. If we think something's important enough, we make time for it. You guys thought church was important enough this morning. You made time for it this morning, didn't you? What you spend money on is what you believe is important enough to spend money on. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. If you're just saying, I just have to make one more dollar, then I'll be happy. When will that end? Because <laughs> you always have to make one more dollar to be happy. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Free yourself from the love of money. It's about learning to be content with what God has given you. Looking at your finances. Take a look. I encourage you to do that this week. Look at your budget. Write out all the things you spend your money on. What does it reveal that you love? Does it reveal you love you? 
your family, God, missions, ministry, your friends, your community, your church, what? Just to take the time, look at it, evaluate your own heart. Take time to sit down. If you want help walking through a budget, I have some budget sheets that I printed off. It's like, what are you talking about? How do we figure out what we're spending our money on? And you want help walking through that, I'd love to talk with you. And I'm sure there are many people um, who love Jesus and maybe more financially oriented that would love to talk with you as well. You have a flock around you who love Jesus and know finances that can talk with you about how you can glorify God with your money and with your finances. If you'd like to talk with me, I'd love to chat with you. If you would say, okay, this is great. I need some more practical help. Let's get down to some dollars and cents of how we can work through this. And I'd love to chat with you about that. Marcy and I had to do that a few years in our, into our marriage. We're like, man, we're not saving as much. It's like, what are we spending money on? It's like eating out, <laughs> fast food. We're like, wow, we spend a lot of money on us eating out. So we need a heart change first there before the finances change. I encourage you to pray for our finance committee. We're going to be meeting here after the service. Doesn't God know just exactly what's going on in our church and have these sermons lined up for that? It's amazing. I, I love it. But these are deeply spiritual things that we're doing, as we have already talked about. It's going to reveal our heart, how we talk about the finances of the church, how we set up a budget. These are spiritual things. Every dollar that comes to Calvary Baptist is going to go towards the ministry of the gospel in one way, shape, or form. As we look to how we talk about it, may our words be encouraging and uplifting. Pray for us. As you eat your meal over lunch, that's when we're going to be talking. Pray for us. Include us in that, I, I ask. Also pray for your own heart. As you look at your own income this week, as you think about your finances and ask the question, does money have a hold on me? Am I governed and ruled by my income? Or am I seeking after God? Who am I truly focusing my life on? Even as we talk next week in our members meeting, we're going to be talking about finances, right? And the budget. Pray for your own heart during that time as well. Pray that we will be free from the love of money. Whether times are tight in Calvary Baptist, pray that we won't be anxious or worry. If we have an overabundance this year of giving, pray that we won't be greedy for more. Just think that it's what we're doing. Help us to be orienting our heart towards God. May we have a new financial heart this year. Focus on the glory of God. And as Jim Elliott, famous missionary martyr, once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, here in America, even our community, you have blessed us so much as we look to other countries that, man, they don't have much of anything. How much you have already blessed us. And we are so thankful. We are humbled by that because we did not deserve that. Lord, help us. It's easy to, to live in America, to live here and be just over, overwhelmed with an ample amount of goods and have storehouses and savings accounts and investments where we are just blessed beyond measure. It's easy to become greedy for gain or think it was just all us and not realize that it's you who are the father of all good gifts. Lord, help us to see you. Help our heart, our new financial heart that we have yet now this morning to understand that you are the giver of all good things. 
You are the one who carefully and lovingly shepherds us along. That you have so joyfully and in your good pleasure given us the kingdom of God, your kingdom. Lord, oh, that's more than we deserve, so much more. And you've given us Christ who dwells with us, who lives with us, who challenges us and encourages us and helps us. Lord, keep us free from that love of money. It's there. It's that temptation so often. Lord, help us to treasure you and treasure your kingdom above all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.